Well, as Matt said, it's been, it's been a weird morning. And it's only weird because I know God is going to do a thing this morning, a thing that is going to blow our socks off. I am excited about this message that the Lord has given me. Um, so I hope that you will be too. Give me a second to get prepared here so I can pull it up. All right. Just so you know, as a reminder, we are at the end of the book of James today. This is the last message in our series in James this morning. Now, this, this letter that we have been going through has taught us many, many things. We have learned in chapter 1 how, to, how the Lord sometimes uses suffering to test our faith. That He challenges us to be doers of the Word of God. Not just to be hearers of the Word, but, but to be obedient disciples regarding the commands of our Savior and Lord. He reminded us that we are not to be partial against one group of people over another that we are to be a people who love everyone as he loves everyone. He also told us that if our faith doesn't have good works in it, that it's as good as dead. It's as good as a corpse, which we all know that a corpse is incapable of doing anything. So the Lord our God asks us to be about his work. That even the demons believe that there is a difference between belief and actually putting your faith to good use. Next, he told us that our tongue can be a weapon. And that was not his intent when he gave us one. He asks us to use it to praise him. He warns us that we are not to use our tongue to give curses to people, and then in the next breath, praise God with it. That is not Christian. Then James told us that any wisdom that we have comes from above. Then we're not to be a boastful people, but a people of mercy and praise. He warned us about the dangers of being worldly, to not be a people of quarrels and fights, but to draw near to God and humble ourselves before Him. James told us that if we do not have the blessings from the Lord, it's because we don't ask for them. And when we do, we do not ask for them in the right reasons. And we're going to learn a lot more about that as we go forward today. We're not to boast about tomorrow. We are to live for today and to live for the glory of God by being obedient to his call. He warned us against the riches and how we put our faith in riches instead of him. That even our silver and gold will one day corrode. But the only thing that lasts is our faith in Christ. Only Christ lasts. He is eternal. Last week we learned that we are to be patient, even in the face of great suffering. That we are not called to grumble, but to be patient and steadfast and wait for the Lord, even when it doesn't go our way. That our word should actually mean something. That when we say yes, it should say yes. And when we say no, it should be no. So as we see when we look into this letter that we have gone through the last few months that James encourages us. He rebukes us and he gets in our face about all aspects of our life. And now as we come to the end of this letter, we are getting into the gist of the whole thing. It's really about prayer. 
My first introduction in my life into prolonged prayer, I was a young Christian, and I sold life insurance for a while. And uh, that was the worst job I ever had in my life, but it actually really prepared me for the ministry. Because if you want to learn how to deal with rejection, go sell life insurance for a while and call people on Friday nights and Saturday morning and tell them that they're going to die and that they need to leave something behind for those that are left. Yeah, that's the first thing you want to hear on Saturday morning. Anyway, there was a Saturday morning where our church had a day of prayer that we had dedicated our church from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the afternoon to have groups of people come in and spend one hour in prayer, and then they could go home. Well, I was supposed to actually go and do cold calling, but I decided to slip out and go to the day of prayer. And I got there at 8 o'clock. I didn't leave until after 5 I didn't intend to do that. I only intended to be there for one hour. I had never prayed for an hour. I wanted to see what that was like. Eight hours later, eight hours later, and I guarantee you that we spent the first 15 minutes taking prayer requests for each other, and 45 minutes out of every hour we prayed, and I prayed for almost eight hours. It was amazing. Yeah, if you've never done that, let me just tell you, do that. It's a lot easier than you might think it is. I went home, and I took a shower, and I thought I'm going to be so tired I'm never going to want to pray again. All I did all night long was talk to God. I couldn't stop. And so this is what, this is what James is trying to get us to do and get excited about. So prayer matters to me. God has shown me time and time again how much prayer matters. And I want you to know that this message might be a little sloppy, it might be a little messy, but prayer is messy. But this is my heart. It might not be the most eloquent, the most um, structured message ever, but there is an exciting end to it, so I want you to hang around to the end. One of my favorite books in the world is a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I gave it to Matt this morning. It's uh, written by a pastor named Jim Cimbala. He's the pastor of of uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. You may have heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. You may have even listened to CDs or music or downloaded it now. Um, but it started out where it was a very small, broken-down church that almost went under, that his father-in-law asked him to take over, and he didn't want to. It started out in a church that seated about 200 people, not too much different than here, although their building was nothing like this. And because of that, he really didn't want to be there. They didn't have enough money to cover their mortgage, but God had told him that prayer was what was going to save this church. It was going to build this church. If he would just get his church to call on his name, he told Jim Cimbala in a, in a vision that he had that they would lack for nothing. And now the church is over 10,000 people. Not that I'm saying our church is going to be over 10,000 people because we know La Junta doesn't have 10,000 people, right? So that's impossible. But we can see God do amazing things. This is, this is what Jim Cimbala said. He said, Does the Bible ever say anywhere from Genesis to Revelation that my house shall be called a house of preaching? Does it ever say, does it ever say my house shall be called a house of music? Of course not. 
But the Bible does say that my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Preaching music and reading the word, he says, these things are fine. I believe in them and I practice them. But they must never override prayer in the defining mark of God's dwelling. The honest truth, he says, is that I've seen God do more in people's lives during 10 minutes of prayer than in 10 of my sermons. And I can, I can honestly, you know, you've listened to my sermons, and you know that prayer is needed in my sermons. So pray for me now because we need it. But I have seen God do so much work through prayer. I have never had anyone come up at the end of a sermon and give their life to Christ on the stage. Never. But I have seen people give their lives to Christ in prayer after service or outside of church. Let's take a minute now and, and read our passage here in James starting in verse 13 of chapter 5 and we'll read through verse 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a, mature, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any among you are wandering from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we talk about prayer, let us be about prayer. Father, I pray that this message would bring glory to you as we talk about prayer. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do, that it would be your word that would be spoken, Lord. I lift this message up to you and I ask for our hearts to be open to hear what it is that you have to say and what it is that we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. These first four verses here really are the heart of the message this morning. It's where we're going to spend most of our time. Now, I want us to understand what these verses are telling us because James gives us six imperatives, six commands to follow in these four verses. These six commands are to sing praises and to pray. And then at the end of verse 16, we'll see that, that he reveals why we should pray. In other words, if we don't pray, we are missing out on the power of God that he has given to us as believers. This is the one thing that as Christians, one of the things that separates us from other religions in the world is that we get to walk into the throne room of our holy God and pray to him and know that he answers us and hears us. Do you understand how powerful that really is? As we look to Advent starting next week and we start to look at generosity, 
Think of that. We have such a generous God that he gave us the opportunity to come before him in prayer and know that he would listen. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn in two in the Holy of Holies. And now we do not have to have a high priest hear our prayers. You know why? Because Christ is our high priest. And he hears our prayers and intercesses on our behalf. Yahweh has given us the key to his house. And he says, you're welcome to come in anytime. In fact, I want you to stay here all the time. Paul tells us that we're to pray without ceasing. So when we look at verses 13 and 14, really, it shouldn't come as any surprise what James tells us. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing him with, all, all, with oil in the, excuse me, in the name of the Lord. Now, one of the things I did in my research is, you know, we look at other versions and we try to see what other versions might say about the same verses. And I got to tell you, in the NASB, I really like it. The New American Standard, to be clear, the 1995 version, it says... They, then he must pray. It's not let him pray. It's that he must pray. That we must sing praises to the Lord. That we must call the elders. You see, because we're supposed to pray and sing praises because there is no other way. There is no other way. As we look further into the suffering part in verse 13, this suffering or affliction is bigger than meaning that we just have a physical illness. But it also includes trouble or anguish from another source. You know, you might, have, you might be the only Christian that you know in your family or maybe even in the group of influence that God has put you in. And you've dealt with ridicule over your faith. Why in the world would you waste your time praying and worshiping a dead guy? I've heard that. Now, we know, being here this morning, that if that were true, why would we be here? Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Very much alive and intercessing on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. And we know that, and that is why we're here. And so we must keep that at the forefront of our mind. We must remember that Jesus Christ is not a was, He is an is and always will be. Amen? And we are to pray to him and trust him. And when we are suffering, no matter what it is, that we are to come to him and trust him to handle it for us. And whether it's opposition or a physical ailment, pray. And as we learned last week, be patient with the Lord to give the Lord our burden. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter exhorts us to cast all, all our anxieties on Jesus because he cares for us. Psalm 55, 22 also tells us to cast our burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will sustain you and he will never permit the righteous to be moved. And we do this through prayer. 
We do this by coming into the throne room of our God, the throne room of Yahweh, the throne room of the great I Am, who says, come, talk to me. I want to hear from you. I love you. It's what connects us to our Heavenly Father. It is what Jesus takes to his Father for us as he intercedes in our behalf. Theologian Wayne Gruden defines prayer this way. Prayer is our personal communication with God. That all we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayer. Understand what that means. Let me read that again, the end part. That all we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayer. In other words, our prayer life reflects whether or not we believe that Yahweh is sufficient for all of our needs. Is he truly our Savior? Is he truly our God? Or is he God of something else? Is his will acceptable for us? Whether he says yes or no. Calvin says this, John Calvin said this regarding prayerless Christians. Those who do not invoke God under urgent necessity are no better than idolaters. What he means by that is that we're idolaters because we look to other things to help us instead of the Lord in prayer. We are worshiping things other than God. We put our dependence and trust in other things than the one who holds the universe in his hand. How can that be? How can we think that that is going to go well for us? James tells us to pray when we suffer of any kind. We must pray because there is no other way. Next, in, in verse 13, James asks the question, if any of us are cheerful, is anyone joyful? Is anyone happy? Is anyone in a good place today? I had to ask myself that question probably about a half an hour ago. Am I in a good place today? For various reasons, most of them technological in nature. And I found out that yes, because of him, I am in a good place today. I still am here. I still get to share the word of God with you. And I'm going to give you a, a hint. I'm going to pray with you later. So be ready for that. I know this might be somebody's worst nightmare in this room, but we are going to pray together when this is over. So I will hurry. But look, hear me on this. It doesn't say if you're a gifted singer, if you are the voice, if you have the voice of an angel, like Hannah does, for instance, if you have not cut a platinum record, it doesn't matter. We're to sing praises. Even I can sing praises to the Lord. And you, some of you, have heard me sing, and you know it's not good. But God says, sing anyway. And so I do. And so I try to move around the room not to ruin everyone's, you know, worship experience. I, I like to spread it around. But we know that he is the only one worthy of our praise. He, Jesus, our Father in heaven. We receive his grace freely. We don't deserve anything. But he gives it to us. So praising him is the least that we, excuse me, the least that we can do. So who cares what you sound like? Now how do we do that? Pick out a psalm. Pick out your favorite song. 
write down the things that are going on in your life. And now when I say sing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a pretty melody. It just means sing your praises out to God. Like we read in Psalm 96, Psalm 95 is another good one. Pick a psalm, any psalm, and sing out to the Lord. We must praise God because there is no other way. And then in verse 14, James even gets deeper into prayer. Then he tells us that, that we are to pray in all circumstances. And then if we are sick, we are to call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now understand this. This is an unbelievable verse. But it's also a very misunderstood verse. Very misunderstood. It's a command that we are given that honestly we don't utilize enough. If you are sick, you are to call the elders and let them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. So let me break this down. If you're sick or you're feeble or you're without strength, if you're powerless against what is ailing you, then you are to call Matt or myself or Zane and you are to call us and we are to come and we are to pray to you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. That's our job. You know why? Because we represent Christ for him as the shepherds of the church. And we are to go into the homes of the sick and the afflicted, and we are to not be afraid, and we are to anoint you with oil and pray over you in the name of Christ, knowing that Christ is the one who heals. That is our job, and by gosh, we love it. So, let me explain to you something. When I was a first anointed, or first uh, uh, installed as an elder, the very first thing I did, the very first day, it was like Monday, I was installed on Sunday. Monday, the, we, we went to the hospital, and there was a young girl at church, and she was dealing with a very difficult bout of cancer. She had just had her first child. And she was in the hospital. She had had cancer for a while, but they had called us in to anoint her and pray over her. That was the very first thing I ever did as an elder. I didn't understand any of that. I understood prayer. I didn't understand the anointing part. What did the oil mean? Is the oil the healing part, or is it just symbolic, or is it sacramental? Well, there's different views in all of those things. And whether it's, it, but I'll just tell you this, the oil does not save anyone. It is a symbol that you are marked by God, that we are to pray over you because you belong to him. And it is through the name of Jesus Christ that if God, according to his perfect will, saves you, then you will be saved. You will be healed. Now, when we went there and we prayed, I remember Pastor Dave went over her, and he anointed her with the oil, and we all laid hands on her and prayed for her. And I would like to be able to tell you that she was healed. And she lived for a couple more years, but she fought and suffered with cancer. And I know, believe me, I know that there's people in this room where that is difficult to hear right now, but I want you to know that God is still God. And no matter what, he carried this young lady through that battle. 
And I have never seen anyone more graceful in difficulty than this young lady was. I could give you her name, but I'm not going to because her name doesn't matter. And she would tell us, tell us that. That's who she was. When she was about ready to pass on into heaven, I remember my friend and I, we went to go see her. And we were like, I don't know what to say to her. What do we say? I don't know. The Lord will give us something. We were really spiritual at the time. And we got there, and she was the one who made it easy for us. It was incredible. But again, we are to come. We are to come and to pray for you. Call us. We really don't bite. My nose might run on occasion, but I promise you, I don't bite. We don't bite. We will pray for you. We will lift you up. We will allow the Lord to do his will in your life. But this is not just the elder's job. This is the job of the congregation to pray for each other because when we were in the hospital, there were people in the church that were praying for her as well on behalf of her. We might have been the representatives to go into the hospital, but our church prayed for her. And there was another time when another young gal, really young, she was in her teens, and she had, she had a benign tumor the size of a fist right behind her eye. And they were told her that, that she was going to have surgery, and it was going to be like 12 hours of surgery. And so we gathered the people in our church, and we asked them to sign up to pray for at least one hour of that surgery. And it took us about five minutes, and we got people to pray, to sign up, to pray through the entire surgery. The surgery went on for almost 30 hours. They ran into complications they didn't expect. People were calling and saying, hey, I'll take the next hour. I'll take the next hour. I'll take the next hour. And we had people praying for her for 30 straight hours all through the night. In fact, there were people who probably prayed all 30 hours because they wanted to. The power of a praying church is something you can't even imagine. It is something that we desire, we want in this church to be so bad as to have the power of a praying church. And I am not saying that we don't have that, but I know we could be better. I know we could be better because I know at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, there's not many of us here. But I want you to know that you are really missing out. And we could have other times to pray together as a church, like this morning. We're going to do that here in a little bit. But as James says here in verse 15, that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. It's a faith that is based on the promises of God, who as we know in Titus 1-2, it says that God never lies. He keeps his promises. Again, I, I just want to remind you that I have been called to pray for people and their healing many times. And it hasn't always been the case where they were healed. But it comes down to where we have to understand that our God knows what's best for us. 
He knows what's best for us. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand and to hear, especially when we're the ones going through the difficulty. It's hard, but we have to trust him with his will. We have to trust him and know that what he has for us is better than anything that we could have. So then in verse 16, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, that the prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. So why would James throw that in there in the middle of what he was just talking about, confessing our sins to one another? We need to understand that this is not like the Catholic church where he's talking about that we need to go to a priest and we need to go to confessional and we need to be absolved by the priest for our sins. That's not how this works at all. That's not what James is talking about. When he says to confess our sins to one another, we have to understand that you and I are not the ones who's, who forgive sin. We can be the conduit to help a person go to Christ and ask for forgiveness of their sin, which is what James is talking about. But we have to remember, you and I are not the ones qualified to forgive sins. We can absolve nothing. Matt and I can't absolve anyone of their sins. So when you call us to pray for you, I'm sorry, but I can't forgive your sin. I can watch you and help you pray that you will get your sins forgiven. And that's coming from our heart. Again, the theology of our thoughts about God who do we think God is? Will he forgive my sins no matter how dark and deep and horrible they might be? The answer, of course, is yes. If we confess our sins, it doesn't say except this sin. All sins he will forgive if we come to him and ask him. There are times sometimes when, you know, maybe you're sinning in your life or you're getting involved in sin and you're not sure exactly what to do about it. Or maybe you've sinned against someone and you feel like you need to make reconciliation with that person. And you come to them and you say, Dan, I'm sorry. I have been gossiping behind your back and I've been telling terrible stories about you. And I'm sorry. I haven't really done that. Just so you know, okay? I think he was getting a little nervous there. I'm I didn't, but I will say this, but that's what we're to do and go and ask him for reconciliation. Would you forgive me, Dan? I am so sorry and repent and never do it again. Confess your sins to one another because why? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And we know that from what we've already talked about that God has given us the keys to his kingdom. And when we believe in his power and who he is in our life, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. When we pray and we put our faith and trust in his promises and in his perfect will, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will answer. We know he will answer. It might not always be yes, but he will answer. He will hear us. Because as we know, Jesus himself was one who didn't just heal physically, he also healed spiritually. And part of this is being healed spiritually. And now we come quickly here um, 
to the next section where James tells us about Elijah. And he uses him as an example, an illustration of what faithful prayer of a righteous person actually looks like. James 5, 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a, mature, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This comes from 1 Kings, starting in uh, chapter 16, verse 29, and it runs through 1 Kings chapter 18. And it's during the time of Ahab, and Ahab was the king in Israel, and it says in 1 Kings 16, 29, that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now that's saying something, because if you know the history of Israel, the kings weren't very good people for the most part. And so to be the one who's known to anger the Lord more than any other one who came before him is to say something. So Elijah was called and, and he was told by the Lord through prayer that it was not going to rain. And so Elijah said what the Lord told him and proclaimed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. It didn't rain again until, as we see in 1 Kings 18.1, that the Lord again through prayer told him to go to Ahab and told him that he would make it rain. And it did. This was done through prayer. Elijah was a righteous man. What time is it, Matt? 55. 55? Okay. We're still going to pray. Is that okay? Okay. All right. So, Elijah was a prophet of God. He was one of the most righteous men of all time. In fact, Elijah was only one of two people in the Bible who did not die. Did you know that? Enoch was one. Elijah's the other. He was taken up by God in a chariot into heaven. An amazing, amazing man. A righteous man. So do you see the prayers of a righteous man? If you are called by God to pray, it could stop raining. I would ask you now to pray that it would start raining and snow possibly and feel like winter because we need it around here. So stop praying that it won't rain and pray that it will, all of you righteous people, okay? Now, we come to our next section here. This next section, these next two verses, and I have to say that through this message, I had real difficulty with these and why they fit. In some ways, these two verses should be their own sermon, but we're going to quickly go through them. But what they say is this, and as I studied it more, I found that they really do fit here, but it seems a little strange based that we were just talking about prayer. So it says, James says in verses 19 through 20, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The basic thing of what this is saying is, and he starts this out the same way he, he ends his letter, the same way he starts it. My brothers, my brethren. My brothers and sisters. That's how he starts the letter. This is how he ends it. And what, really what he is saying, to be clear, is that God never gives up on anyone and neither should we. That's really the whole gist of this whole thing. God doesn't give up on anyone. And listen, hear me on this. What James is talking about through this is not people who are Christians and necessarily 
have become not Christians. Because we know through Scripture that if you are called by God, and if you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Him and you belong to Him, He cannot unchoose you. You are His forever. So what he is talking about in this section are people that maybe have said the prayer but never really understood exactly what that meant. Maybe their lives haven't been transformed. Maybe they aren't really a Christian because no one told them what that meant. Or they're following away and following a weird doctrine. Or they've left the church in anger. And we're to go and get them. We're to go and find them. We're to not give up on them. But the first thing that we need to do, as James points out in chapter 1, is that if we lack wisdom, we need it. And I've been in situations like this before, and i got to tell you, and if you're going to go and chase down someone who's angry with you and who's left the church and is saying things, you need God's wisdom. We need the power of, of God's prayer. We need the power of people in the congregation praying before we go get them. And if they don't want to come back, we can't make them come back. Only the Lord can do that. But we should not give up on them in prayer. We should continue to lift them up because we know that God is chasing after them. We know that God has brought them that far. And I have to believe that God is going to bring them all the way home. Prayer is good. Prayer is good. I just want you to know that James 4.2 is a verse that through this whole series, listening to this message, it really slayed me. It says in verse 2 of chapter 4, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Do you know that we can have peace? We can have joy. We can have love. We can have salvation. We can have healing. We can have a relationship with our God. But we don't ask. And that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking to me. God has given us, as we've talked about extensively, the ability to come to him into his throne room and pray in his holy name and ask him for his will to be done. We are called to pray. And not only called, but we are commanded to pray. And we shouldn't think of that command as something that we don't want to do. That should be something that we desperately want to do. So this morning, as I told you, the best thing that we can do when we talk about prayer is pray. And so I'm going to ask you, before we go to the Lord's Supper, and I know that some of you, this is going to be your worst nightmare of all time, but I'm, I'm going to be nice. But I want us to break up into groups of four and five people. Find people you're comfortable with. I'm not going to make you pray out loud. I'm going to encourage you to trust the Lord and to pray out loud. But I can't make anybody do anything. That's between you and God. But I'm going to give you three instructions when you do that. These are the things that I want us to pray for, okay? And Matt's going to put them up on the screen. So we're going to break up into small groups of four or five. 
And I also want us to know that I want to have everybody have a chance to pray. I know some of us really love prayer. I'm one of them. And I can totally dominate the next 10 or 15 minutes in prayer. So let's allow other people to have a chance to pray. And I want us to pray for three things. I want us to start out by telling God how great he is, to praise who he is. And then two, two, I want us to thank him for what he has done. Remember that Jesus has saved you. You are a sinner destined for hell, and he reached out and grabbed you and brought you to himself. And three, I want us to pray for each other. I'm thinking that we can do this for the next 10 minutes, okay? And you might think, gosh, that sounds like eternity. Believe me, 10 minutes is going to go really fast. So take a few minutes, or don't take any minutes at all, really, because we don't have time now. I talk too long. Get together in groups of four or five and start praying, okay? Do it. Let's go. This is something the Lord told me to do. I can't begin to tell you how cool it was to listen all to the little groups of prayer that were going on right now. What a blessing today was. And I thank each and every one of you for, for taking this seriously. I was <laughs> quickly, I know, quickly, I was laying in bed yesterday morning at about 4.30, which is about the time on Saturday morning the Lord decides to wake me up on my day that I could sleep in longer. And he decided to have a talk with me, and he said that this is, you know, and when I say that we have this conversation, you know how it is. When God speaks to you, you go, you get a feeling in your heart, I should do this. What? You want us to do this? You know how risky that is? But I praise each and every one of you for being a part of that. We still have a group going on, which is great.